Good morning. I hope all of you are doing well. It is always a true honor, privilege, very humbling experience to be able to bring the Word of God to you in this format. And I have a word from the Lord this morning that I think will be an encouragement to you and help all of us along our faith journey as uh, we continue to, to strive to be uh, Christ-like in our lives. And I'd like to just begin with sharing with you that I think, well, I know, that most of us in this room this morning, we really strive to live a truthful life, do we not? I mean, we, we get a bill in the mail, what do we do? We we pay it. Students, your, t- your day's coming. <laughs> Guess what season we're in? It's not Christmas season. We are now entering the tax season. So what do we do? We pay our taxes. We try to be honest and, and forthright um, as a people. But I think if we're truly honest with ourselves this morning, as individuals and as a collective body of Christ here at Murphy Road Baptist Church, I think most of us also struggle living consistently in truth when it comes to the Word of God in a consistent way. As a result of that, I think often we have questions that enter our mind, like, where's the power of God in my life? Where's the peace and where's the joy that I'm supposed to be experiencing as a child of God? Where is it? We also ask questions like, why do I always have to seem like I'm faking it? Why why am I not able to express in a genuine way who Christ is in my life? Why does it become such a a, a struggle to where I feel like I'm just doing it out of of an act instead of from a love of Jesus Christ in my heart? Why do I feel like a hypocrite? What is this thing all about? Now, why are churches closing instead of growing? What's this all about? You know, these questions enter our minds. And we just have question after question. And I think it will do us um, good to encounter God's word to address this issue and see if we can walk out of here with a, a fresh new perspective and approach to living in truth and what that really involves and how that can have a tremendous positive impact in your life, your family's life, this church life, community, and beyond. So if you would be kind to turn to the book of First John in the New Testament, First John chapter 1, verse 6 through 7, is where we will begin to discuss this matter. First John chapter 1, Verse 6 and 7. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Let's visit the top part of this verse, verse 6. If we claim to have fellowship with him, Yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. 
there are two reasons why someone walking on planet Earth would be, will be walking in darkness, as Scripture is relaying to us here. The first reason is they do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. They are not born again through the blood and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Therefore, they're walking in darkness. They know no better because without Jesus Christ and in, 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 in his grace established in your life through the cross and through the victory of his resurrection and the victory that you, 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 you carry with him, you can't interpret truth because the Holy Spirit's not indwelling in that individual. And as a church, we have to understand, we can expect nothing more. Now, they can have a good moral standard. They can know not to walk to a bank and rob it. But they're not walking in light. They're just law-abiding citizens staying out of jail. But they're walking in darkness because they can't interpret the truth based on God's word. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who teaches and helps us to understand and apply it to our lives. The second reason someone walking on planet Earth would be walking in darkness is related here in verse 6. As if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. So let me, let me just paint this picture for you here. You have the non-believer's mind who's not born again. With that non-believer's mind, you're going to have self-centered thoughts. Well, self-centered thoughts lead to self-centered actions. It's the trickle-down process. It's the way the mind works. It's the way we behave as humans. But when you're alive in Christ through his death and resurrection, born again in him, here's what happens. God replaces that non-believer mind with a believer's mind. And with the believer's mind comes God-centered thoughts and God-centered actions. But something happens. Something really, really troubling happens in the process of this in our daily life. Is that although we have a believer's mind and we're claiming to have fellowship, we're walking the walk, we're talking the talk, you know, and our thoughts, we're striving to be God-centered in our thoughts, when it comes to our actions, we kind of run off the road. Here's why. It's because although the Spirit of God is indwelling in us, we are still in the flesh, and we always will be. So there's going to be a continual battle going on within us to, to, to allow our, our minds and our thoughts and our actions to be one that doesn't reflect us walking in the darkness, but walking in the light. And I think it's very important that this part of our journey this morning is that we go together as the body of Christ to the cross. And that's where I want us to take us right now. Because the cross is, 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 the, is the beginning point for, for us to recognize who we are. Let me put it this way. You and I need the cross. We need it. Without it, we're not here. Without it, there's no, there's no worship. There's no abundant life in Christ. The cross, the cross is crucial when it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ. 
It's mandated. Now, here's the thing about the cross. The cross needs to be very personal for each of us in this room. The cross does not need to be the cross is to cover his sin or her sin, their sin. No, the cross needs to be very personal. The cross exists for your sins and mine. And here's the thing. When you reach the point in your life where the cross is personal to you, you realize that the truth of God and the Holy Spirit begins to realize that you are a sinner needing to be saved by grace. You. And you have a moment with our Lord establishing that you need the cross. You need what the cross provides. What does the cross provide? The cross provides new life. The cross provides forgiveness. It's a revelation of God's love. God reveals his love through his son, Jesus Christ, to you through the cross. The cross gives you a new beginning. It restores you. It does all the things that you would, that you would want to happen in your life. But here's, here's the thing you need to truly understand, friends, this morning. Is that although the cross, as we approach it in a personal way, and we see all the attributes and the, and, the, and, the, and the things that the cross delivers to us. There is a prerequisite that is a must that we cannot, must not neglect. And that is the cross demands death. The cross killed our Savior, Jesus Christ. But may we sound the victory alarm in our hearts to recognize that although the cross demanded death and it demands you to die with Christ, the victory is in the resurrection. And this is where is the body of Christ. We should be clapping and cheering because this is the pivotal part of who we are. So I will give you that opportunity. I've set it up. If you're a golfer, I just put the ball on the tee. Okay? And I am... <laughs> Whatever golfer you want. I'm, I'm Jordan Spieth. The cross is where Christ died for you to have new life. The victory is in the resurrection. Let's all... Celebrate. Go ahead. I give you permission. (laughs) That was a hole in one. We won. The cross demands you to die with it. Without you dying with Christ, you will never be able to understand and comprehend and live out walking in the light. The victory through the resurrection. You have a new mind. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. You have a new thought. God-centered thoughts. God-centered actions. You're a new person. You're born again. I came from a dancing family. My, my mom is here. If y'all can just welcome her real quick. And 
But I came from a dancing family. The pack of bushes were a dancing family. And I can remember growing up, if I had to get up um, soon after going to bed to get a drink of water or what have you, um, or just stand and look at my brothers wondering how I was just so much better looking than they were, whatever reason I had to get up, there were times where I would get up and I would hear, you remember the old LPs? Students here, I'm going to lose you for a moment here, but you remember the LPs on the, on the, on the record players? Okay, well, they would have their country and western songs, you know, playing on the LP, dancing in the kitchen, two-stepping, okay? Now, as a child, and I never really told my mom and dad this, of, of how much that really meant to me, to see my mom and dad expressing their love to, for one another, dancing just by themselves as their boys are gone to bed, and having a moment for themselves, dancing in the kitchen to some classic country and western. Now, my mom would tell you, if she had the opportunity, how my dad swept her off her feet. She would tell you two things. His piercing blue eyes and the way that rascal could dance. Right, Mom? Well, guess who got that gene? <laughs> I did. And there's proof in the pudding. I'm not going to show you this morning because I, <laughs> I want to keep you in your seats, all right? We've got to have control here. But whenever I was a senior, we rented out the YMCA after graduation. And they used the gym as a big dance floor. Everyone was out there dancing. It was a dance contest. You're looking at Mr. Second Place here. <laughs> thank you. And I want to thank all those who... No, just kidding with you. Okay. I'm not bitter about not getting first place, but I will say... Apparently, you had to do the moonlight, moonwalk like Michael Jackson in order to achieve a first-place ribbon in a dance contest in the late 80s. I'm not bitter, not bitter at all, and I'm ready to move on because there's more to talk about. Now, this whole dance thing carried over to my adult life. Rachel and I, we love dancing. We love two-stepping, okay? Kind of gone are the days of just getting down and boogieing on a dance floor. Just, you know, it's just not on my radar anymore. But I will two-step anytime you ask me to, okay? But there's something you got to know, most of you will know about me, is the way I dress is, um, is kind of out of the norm. I don't care what the temperature is, hot or cold, you can predict what I'm going to be wearing, Unless it's mandated, I'm going to be wearing a button-up shirt, shorts, and what's on my feet? Flip-flops. Life is better than flip-flops. It's a rule I live by. That does not change when I go two-stepping. You have not lived unless you've been on a dance floor watching Rachel and Paul Packabush dance, and you have all these old-timers out there dressing their, their cowboy hats and their western shirts and Wrangler jeans and cowboy boots, and their wives are decked out as well, so is my wife. You have not lived until you see an old-timey couple dancing like they've been dancing all their lives together because they have, and the man gets by me and looks me up and down like this and just starts shaking his head, <laughs> moving down, down, down the dance lane, okay? And, and, and bless Rachel's heart, she just endures it, deals with it, and is somehow okay with it. I think we should just give her a little love. 
This past November, we went on a, what I call the Great Cajun Adventure. We went down to South Louisiana to just throw ourselves into the Cajun culture um, uh, around the Thanksgiving time. And we uh, went on a camping trip, and we got to Houma, Louisiana. And after we set up camp, I asked the camp director, I said, can you put us on some, whoa, can you put us on some good Cajun food? And it would be a bonus if they had a Cajun band just to listen to. She told us where we could go, and I'm telling you, we hit the jackpot. It was just the most incredible environment. What we walked into was this family-friendly restaurant that had a dance floor about the size of this middle section that everyone's sitting in. All right, around it were the tables, the picnic tables that families could sit out and eat their Cajun food. People started walking in, and we started discovering these are all the locals. This is not a tourist trap. We're the, we're the ones from out of town here. Turns out every Friday, all the locals who have lived in home in their whole lives come to this event as a community celebration. They have a Cajun band, and they're there to dance. So we're, we're pumped. We're like, we have hit the jackpot. Now, there's something you need to understand, though. They weren't there to two-step. They were there to do the Cajun waltz. That's completely different than our Texas two-step rhythm here. So we had to just sit and watch and see how they did it. Well, here, here come some of the older men asking me permission to dance with Rachel. I said, absolutely. And I was going to put it on the screen and show y'all, but I value my life. She would have killed me. But just, just hear my words. She got on the dance floor with this um, uh, senior Cajun man, just fascinating individual. And he told Rachel, I'm sorry you're going to have to dance backwards. That's the way it's got to be. Watch me. Do as I say and do what I do. Friends, let's go back to 1 John. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But, the conjunction but, that means there's another way. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Let me tell you what the Christian life is in a nutshell. The Christian life is responding to Jesus Christ saying, come dance with me. He's going to look you in the eye. And he's going to say, I'm sorry I can't tell you what's ahead. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to watch me. I want you to trust me. Do as I say. Do what I do. Let's dance. Amen? Now, here's the cool thing that I hope, uh, that I'm just going to spell out for you here because I don't want you to miss this. If you see at the end of verse 7, it says, if you walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Okay, in the beginning of the verse, he's talking about if you're, if you're lying, you're saying you have fellowship, you really don't. But man, if you walk with my, in step with my son Jesus Christ, 
if you're in rhythm with him, if you do as he does, just be in step with him, not only are you going to have fellowship with me as your father in heaven, but it's going to pour down and trickle down to where you're going to have fellowship with one another. Us getting along, us having community, us being unified as the body of Christ, it's a big deal to God. Therefore, amen, it should be a huge big deal for us. Amen? So how do we do this? How does this become a reality? How do we put this into action? Well, let's go to Romans 12, verse 1 through 2. I'll give you a moment to to get to Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. This is a very familiar passage with uh, most of us. It certainly applies to the topic today. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Friends, I say to you this. Every act that has ever been demonstrated by an individual on this earth began in the mind. Every act ever demonstrated by an individual on this planet has been rooted back to that person's mind. The mind is the starting point for conforming or transforming to take place. Conforming, living in darkness, as we have already established what that looks like. Transforming, walking in the light, as we have established what that looks like. It begins in the mind. The mind's a very powerful part of who we are as humans. And we have to understand where the mind takes its seat as far as our ability to live out the life that God has called us to in His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, here's what I want to share with you regarding the importance of understanding this and how it begins to apply in our practical lives. Through the mind, you have thoughts. Thoughts come into your mind. Happens every day, all day. It's happening to you right now. Okay? I don't know what you're thinking, but you're thinking something. Your mind's at work. It doesn't shut down. It leads to emotions. Those thoughts lead to emotions. Okay? The emotions lead to desires. And then the desires lead to action. Again, the thoughts in your mind, they lead to emotions. The emotions lead to desires. And the desires live, that lead to acting it out, living it out. And that's, it's important that we understand and grasp that. Because the next thing I'm going to lay on you is very important, even more important. It's because we have an enemy. His name is Satan. And he understands how the mind works. And Satan wants nothing more from you than to have control of your mind. You know why? Because he is clever enough, he is witty enough to know if he has control of your mind, then he can have control of your emotions, your desires, and you begin to act out exactly what he wants you to do. Satan wants nothing more than to ruin your reputation. Young people, he wants nothing more than to ruin your future. 
Nothing more. And he's going to do it through the mind. Church family, he wants nothing more than to create diversity among us. Satan wants nothing more than the body of Christ to be damaged, for us to turn against each other. In fact, I would venture to say that Satan has a a clever way of just sitting back and saying, boy, my work's done. They can just devour each other now. Let me move on to something else. They're going to finish the job for me. We do it without even knowing it. Because our minds aren't channeled the way that God's designed them to be. To walk in the light. So what do we do about that? Well, here's what we do. We turn to 2 Corinthians 10.5. Turn to 2 Corinthians 10.5. We're going to find the answer to this question here. What do we do to fight this off? And I hope you understand, we serve a God who loves you dearly. And questions that we have, he's going to give us the answer if we're just willing to look and find and search and discover. It's a joy to do it as a church family, as the body of Christ. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, destroy arguments. He didn't say put aside. No, he said destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. You want to put Satan in his place? You can't do that in your own power. He will mow you over every time. You are powerless against Satan. But with Jesus Christ, you can overpower Satan. Not you, but Christ in you. Note to self, Satan is scared of Jesus. Scared of him. Shudders at his name. You've got to know that. Because that's a tool in our Christian tool belt. Proclaim the name of Jesus Christ and say, you know what? I have this thought in my mind. My call is to hold it captive and make it obedient to Jesus Christ. That means you're getting Jesus involved in this situation here. And when Jesus is involved, Satan flees. But we don't involve Jesus in our everyday processing and mind and our thinking. We put him in our, in our Sunday morning coat pocket. Say, come on, Jesus, let's go walk the walk. No, Jesus wants to be involved. He wants you to be clothed in him. And I'm going to tell him myself. He wants you to be clothed in him when you're at the red light and the person in front of you is texting instead of going when the light turns green. Ouch. I said that for me, not you. Because here's what happens. I'm 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 going to create two little graphs for you here. The first one is the conformed, self-centered, walking in darkness individual. Okay, here's what happens. Pick a scenario, any scenario you want, and your expectations aren't met. Because your expectations aren't met, and whatever reason, you're hurt and you're offended. Out of your hurt and being offended... Guess what happens next? The way the mind works is you begin to dislike the situation and the person or the people involved in the situation. If it doesn't stop there, guess what? It goes. It doesn't stop. You know, Satan doesn't do this. Oh, stop. They've had enough. We're cool. 
don't want to go any further. No, Satan's like, good, they're taking the bait. They're taking the bait because it's all about them. They think it's all about them. Okay, so you begin to dislike. Then, then we start acting on it. We start gossiping. It's gossip. Let's call it for what it is. When you talk bad about another brother and sister, about anybody, in a negative way, it is gossip. We have got to stop lying to ourselves and saying, we're just trying to figure it out. We're just trying to really, what we're trying to get to is just helping and knowing how to pray for. No, you're not. You're hurting the body of Christ. You're a gossip. You're living a lie. You're feeding right into Satan's plan. Call it for what it is. And then the gossip, now you've got a little nucleus to back you up. Say, let's hate together, because that's where it leads to. You start hating that individual and what he or she has done to you, okay? And then your heart hardens. You can't even look or talk to that person, okay? You just can't even stand the presence of them in the room. And then here's what happens. You're not there. Your peace, your peace and your joy is out the window, gone. And your part of the body of Christ is not functioning the way it's supposed to be. Can't display God's spirit, the fruit of his spirit. Why? Here's why. Because it was all about you. Well, guess what? Let's go back to the cross. Something significant happened at the cross. Let's remind ourselves of it. You died. You died. It's not about you anymore. You gave your life over to Christ. You're dead. It's no longer your agenda. It's Christ's agenda in you. Remember the dance floor? Watch me. I'm not going to tell you, but watch me. Trust me. Be in step with me. That's the Christian life. Now, that's that scenario. Now let's go to the transformed, Christ-centered, walk in the light. You know what? I think it's great to have expectations. I think expectations are great to have. Have them. Believers, we need to have a high expectation. Okay? And it's also okay for us to be hurt and to be offended. It's an emotion that we carry, that God gave us. It helps us keep it between the lines what's right and what's wrong. But here's where the rubber meets the road. What we do with the expectation and the hurt and offense that comes from not having what we think should happen is where the rubber meets the road. Instead of turning to dislike and feeding into Satan's scheme, here's what we need to do as Christians. So anything I've said to you, wake up and hear this and apply. Because this is where Life transformation really takes place. This is where your home becomes a better home in the name of Jesus Christ. This is where your street, your community, and your church, and our state, our world becomes better if we as the body of Christ will demonstrate this one area of our faith. And here's what it is. Your expectation's not met. You're hurt and you're offended. You ask the Lord, what would you have me do? We don't do that. I know I don't always do that. I'll tell on myself till the cows come home. Just as guilty as you. But when your expectation's not met and you're offended, 
we need to stop and we need to say, Lord, what would you have me do? And then you know what we do? We wait. We wait to hear his answer. And then once he gives the answer, you obey. And that, my friends, is the root of our faith. The grace in which God has given us in his son, Jesus Christ, what he expects, what he demands, desires out of his children is obedience. Step-by-step obedience. But to obey him, sometimes we have to wait. Now, in a culture where we're fighting mad because we have to wait five minutes for our hamburger to be cooked, that's a hard thing for us to do. But guys, we're going to have to learn just to be still and wait and listen and obey. Because here's what happens. When we don't wait and we take it into our own hands and say, well, I'll fix the situation. There's that word again, I, I. No, we wait and say, Lord, what would you have me do in your name? Here's what's going to happen. The power of the Holy Spirit indwelling in you, he's going to start revealing what he wants you to do in this situation. And anything that he asks you to do is going to be an act of worship to our Lord. And it's going to display the fruits of God's Spirit who is indwelling in us. So it's not the power of your decision, of your mind. It's not your ability. It's the Lord working in and through you through the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because you said, I'm not going to respond. I'm going to wait. And I'm going to listen. And I'm going to obey. And if we do that, instead of turning to the person in hate, God could lay on a, a new avenue of saying, I'm going to love. Because that's a fruit of God's Spirit. I'm going to be kind. And guess what happens? When that becomes part of our DNA, when that becomes who we are, the coolest thing happens. You're not focused on yourself anymore. You're focused on other people. You're focused on the body of Christ. You're living your life the way God intended for you to live. You've got to wait. There's a waiting process. Now, I'm coming in for my landing here. The waiting process. Turn to Isaiah 40, 31. Isaiah 40, 31. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. One of my most favorite things to do in life is I love to backpack through the wilderness. I love to backpack through the mountains. I love throwing on a 40 to 50 pound pack. It's more like 20 or 30 in my 40s. But I love throwing what I need to head out in the mountains. If it's two, three, four, or five days or longer... And just experiencing God's creation through the sport of backpacking. Some of you are saying, how in the world can a big boy like you backpack through the mountains with extra weight on your back? I'm going to tell you how I do it. I do it one step at a time. I dig deep and I get it done. Let me tell you what that looks like. I pick a spot. And I walk to it. I don't, I don't say I'm going to... I'm going to keep packing until I, I'm not going to stop till I get there. No, I'll pick this podium, and I bend over, <laughs> and that's flat land. 
but I don't quit. I don't quit until I've reached my destination. One of the coolest things about backpacking is I love getting to a, 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 an over uh, a bluff where I can just see through, you know, the, the, down a valley and just over the mountain range. And more times than not, I've always had the privilege of seeing eagles flying, just soaring high in the sky. So high that I have to look twice to see if they're really there. Beautiful animals. Beautiful animals. And I'll sit there and watch them just gracefully flying, looking for food, or doing whatever they do. I've never had a conversation with one, so I don't really know what they do up there. But they're beautiful. Something I've learned about the eagle. Two fascinating things. They go through an annual molting process. That means that they lose their feathers on an annual basis. The reason they lose their feathers is because the feathers that they've used are too weak to soar the way that they were created to soar. So they have to lose them. They don't lose them, and that's the end of the story. They lose them, and they grow new ones, stronger ones, fresh, strong wings in order to fly the way that God created them to fly. The other cool thing about the eagles is their eyes. They have eyes that will marvel any human being. You know that an eagle can see a quarter or 25-cent piece from 200 yards away. You know, I have to wear these things now, which is a beating. I can't see a Mack truck from that far away these days. <laughs> and they can see a rabbit from a mile away. Fascinating. They can fly up there and just see what they're after. Friends, we need to wait. We need to wait upon the Lord, and we renew our strength and mount up like an eagle's wing and with the eagle's eyes. And so here's, here's, what I want to, here's what I want to encourage you with this morning. Paul, you can come up with the band, and, and I'm just going to give a, a chance to respond. Some of you... I mean, all of us in this room, we don't have it together. Every single one of us in this room, we got little issues. You know you do. Just have a time between you and God and say, okay, oh, I'm not perfect. You're not. Far from it. I am a process in the making, big time. What needs to happen is we need to respond. God refuses to give up on you. He's not. But he wants you to respond. Some of you this morning, you need to respond to the cross for the very first time. You've been walking in darkness and in this worship center. The Holy Spirit has revealed to you your need for the cross. Respond to the cross. Be born again through the blood and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You come up here, I'll share what that really means in a more personal way. We'll disciple you. We'll encourage you in your faith. We'll walk with you. Some of us in this room, we need to go through a malting process. Some of us have feathers on us right now that you know need to be dropped off and kicked out the door. You've got some pain. You've got some issues against a brother or sister in Christ, possibly. Maybe against a family member. Maybe against yourself. Maybe some, uh, uh, against God himself. You feel cheated got some feathers that are holding you back from being able to soar and live the life that God has called you to live. you got to deal with the molting process. You've got to let the Holy Spirit do a work in you. You've got to be honest about it first. He's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a relational God. 
He'll, he, if there's a thousand steps, he'll take 999 of them, but he wants you to take that one step and say, let's dance. Keep your eye on me. I'm not going to tell you where we're going. That's for me and my father and our will. You died. You're mine. Let's dance. So will you stand to your feet and respond to Jesus Christ the way the Holy Spirit is calling you to respond? Because that, that is what God desires for each and every one of us, to respond to him. His Holy Spirit communicating in his unique way to you, uniquely, personally to you, he's wanting you to respond so that you can live a life in truth, a walk in the, a life that walks in the light, a life that reveals a transformation to where you're living life as though you're on a dance floor with flip-flops on. And people are looking at you like you're nuts. And you can say, I am nuts for Jesus Christ. I'm no longer part of this world. I'm not going to conform to it anymore. I'm going to walk and I'm going to dance a different step. So respond to that call. Respond to that call. In Jesus' name, amen.